And welcome back to the Cold War Cast. I am your host, Ryan Llewellyn. This is a podcast where we discuss the history and the pop culture of the Cold War. Well, earlier this week, I went and saw the film Oppenheimer with my stepdaughter. And I know it's been a long time since I've been on here, but uh, this movie really gave me uh, gave me a lot to think about. I thought this was a really cool movie. Um, I was surprised by how popular this movie has turned out to be when I first heard that they were going to make a film about Oppenheimer. I assumed it was going to be kind of a small-time thing, not necessarily the blockbuster it's turned out to be. And it is kind of funny, I think, that between this film, this very heady and smart film, really, and <laughs> the uh, the Barbie movie movie that came out at about the same time, it really feels like there's a um, bit of a resurgence in the uh, the movie theater experience that uh, it's been so dismal for um, for so long. But uh, you know, I'm hearing a lot more people talking about going to the movies and um, kind of making a production out of it. It's kind of funny that these are the two movies that seem to that I don't know give the uh, the struggling cinema a little bit of a jolt. All right, so this film is damn near three hours long, and to be honest, it really kept my attention the whole time. Um, I heard some people complain that it was kind of a boring film, but um, one thing that I'll say, and this is both a criticism and a um, a plus about the film, is that it assumes that the viewer... Um, knows a lot about the situation walking into it. So it doesn't necessarily um, set up a lot of the characters and situations. It just kind of runs through um, runs through really a ton of history from World War II, the early atomic era, and r- really the early part of the Cold War. So one recommendation I'm going to make, and other people have made this as well too, this isn't you know, original thinking from me. But if you are going to go see the movie, I would definitely invest, um, you know, 10, 15 minutes just kicking around Wikipedia before you go, um, reading about Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project. And, um, you know, just like all these kind of things to really give you enough of a foundation. Um, Ideally, even reading one of the uh, pop history books that, you know, there's a lot of them that kind of cover, uh, this history just fairly recently within the past couple of months, I believe I read, uh, 1945, I think it's called, uh, or at least I listened to the audio book and that covers a lot of this material as well too. But, you know, just anything like that, um, is going to prepare you to be able to walk into the theater or, you know, you'll probably be able to get it from Amazon or whatever here pretty soon and really understand a lot of the references that they make because um, they they definitely don't dumb, the, dumb this down. So that, like I said, that's something that um, I think could be a criticism of the film, you know, because I, I don't expect uh, the average person you know, just coming in off the street to, you know, understand who Enrico Firme is or, um, you know, the Potsdam Conference. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to 
say someone's dumb for not understanding those things, but um, you know they're they're just kind of mentioned. They're part of the story, and uh, they don't give really any extra details on these kind of things. And I think being able to understand some of these characters will definitely enhance your viewing experience. And you know, even though I think about these things quite a bit, and you know, I've done a lot of reading and and well, podcasting about these events. Um, you know, some of these characters I had to kind of jog my mind a little bit on and, um, you know, big, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of remember that. Or, you know, I don't remember this clearly, but okay. I'll take their word for it. So, um, yeah, it is worth the effort for this film to, uh, to do it just a little bit of reading. And honestly, I wish I had been a little more enterprising and maybe saw this film right off the bat because, uh, it would have been kind of cool to make a real um, kind of Cliff Notes version of the movie. Just, you know, one sentence about this, one sentence about that, just to um, give people a, a real primer walking into it on all the uh, the meat and potatoes of what's mentioned because, my God, it covers a lot of material and, and it moves fast. But um, this was a really cool film. Um, I really liked it and... Even though I like to talk about films actually from the Cold War that show the Cold War, this one I feel is um, is relevant enough that um, it just needs to be talked about on this podcast. It covers uh, a lot of Cold War material that we all know and love. Um, you know, kind of the uh, the late days of World War II, the early Atomic Era. You know, overlaps there and. Um, the Red Scare of the late 40s, early 50s. Now, I'm not going to go over the whole entire film or, you know, everything about it or anything like that today. And I'm not going to, you know, really give any spoilers. I think we we already know how it turns out. But um, there was one theme that ran through the movie and, um, you know, of course, ran through the, the history of all that. But there is a scene fairly early on where Oppenheimer is, uh, I believe he's teaching physics and he's teaching physics to uh, a young student, uh, quantum physics that is. And I, I forgot exactly what he says, but um, basically there, there are two things that contradict each other, but um, it works. And he makes a comment. He's like, exactly. You know, this is a paradox that works. And that theme runs through the movie and goes out into the larger Cold War. And I just thought that was um, kind of a cool thing. Now, as far as the man himself, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, well, he, he was a paradox that works. He was kind of a uh, dysfunctional person in his personal life. They make a comment, or I believe he makes a comment in the movie, that... Um, Somebody said that they wouldn't trust him to run a hamburger stand, but here he is being asked to head up the um, the most profound scientific endeavor in human history. He was a guy that rubbed elbows with communists and had some communist sympathies, but he was also one of the um, you know once the dust settled, one of the biggest fighters against communism insofar as heading up the atomic bomb pro program for the United States and the capitalist world. 
Now, the Manhattan Project, of course, took place during World War II. And at the time, the United States was allies with the Soviet Union, of course, and giving them a lot of aid. But at the same time, during all this, the Soviet Union was also treated as an enemy. And this is brought up in the film quite a bit that, um, you know, they suggest sharing some of this information with the Soviets and, um, you know, expecting that the Soviet Union had information to to share with us as well, too, about uh, the potential of an atomic bomb. But, um, you know, at the same time, we had to keep it guarded from these people who were supposedly our friends at the time. So, you know, that's an interesting paradox that that worked <laughs> for World War II, that, um, you know, here we are siding with the bad guys against the other bad guys, but it worked out in the end, or, or you know, maybe. I suppose that's actually debatable, but we can save that for another day. Another paradox that they uh, covered and hinted on in the film was the idea of how much we relied on, as the United States, we relied on foreigners and people from uh, backgrounds that were a little out of the mainstream. You know, it makes a point of um, mentioning several times that Robert Oppenheimer was Jewish and many of these um, scientists were um, Jews that were from families that were recent immigrants from um, Eastern Europe. And, but at the same time that these guys were entrusted with, um, well, this huge undertaking, this uh, very uh, sensitive project, that the kind of more waspy establishment was um, very skeptical of these people. So, you know, a large part of the film was um, Robert Oppenheimer at the end uh, having his security clearance up for um, for debate. The film makes it clear that there were tons of scientists from Europe and, uh, you know, from Eastern European backgrounds. Now, they don't explicitly say that, um, you know, people from this part of the world are just out of hand um, suspicious, but um, it is implied that, uh, you know, maybe uh, if your last name has a vowel at the end of it or a, a Steen or a Berg or something like that, that uh, or a Ski or something like that, you um, might be a little bit more questionable than if your last name was like Johnston or Smith or something like that. And that was a thing at a time that we've addressed in, in previous podcasts. And, you know, ethnic heritage aside, that the United States was relying on guys that um, uh, tended to have a lot of uh, kind of pinko sympathies, I guess you would say. Um, Oppenheimer was definitely left-leaning. A lot of these scientists were left-leaning. And, um, you know, we relied on these guys that were kind of pushing up against the limits of communism, maybe, as our uh, really our main bulwark against communism. So kind of an interesting paradox there. But this leads me into two questions that uh, paradoxes that have really loomed over the Cold War that um, I really think about. And, you know, I'm not going to dissect these questions too much today. I just wanted to bring up the... Um, 
the the idea that uh, the Cold War was full of paradoxes, and this film does a good job of um, really highlighting that. But the first one is one that they definitely talk about a lot in this movie, and that's the idea that of uh, of mutual assured destruction. Basically, they didn't say that specifically, but the idea that we needed to build these big weapons, these big scary weapons that are capable of destroying the planet in order to protect the planet. It's brought up many times in the film that they were flirting with a technology that they they honestly weren't 100% sure would be safe for us to use. They thought that there was a slight chance that one nuclear reaction like like that could um, basically engulf the entire planet. And it didn't take long at all in the uh, timeline of the atomic age that uh, people started to realize this, that, um, you know, even though technically they could say these weapons were used to deter war or, you know, for protection or whatever, but... Um, it could very easily get out of hand um, and probably would get out of hand. And also there's the ideas that these scientists and, um, you know, government officials, maybe to a, a lesser extent, the uh, military industrial <laughs> um, complex, that they saw the danger in these weapons and the um, ability for these things to spiral out of control. But at the same time, they thought that if they didn't do this, then, well, the other guys on the other side of the world, they would do it. So thus, we had to do it. So there was a bit of a uh, moral conundrum, or at least a publicly facing one, that, uh, you know, boy, they didn't really want to do this and uh, go down this nuclear rabbit hole. But um, here we are. If we don't, those guys were. So that was another um, kind of interesting paradox of the Cold War. And finally, this was not covered in Oppenheimer because it was um, still kind of early on the Cold War timeline when uh, this film is uh, supposed to take place. But there's the idea that the Cold War was peaceful because war between the United States and the Western world and the Soviet Union never actually happened and all these big scary weapons that we had may have kept the peace but at the same time the period of the cold war was very very turbulent and um, very very bloody in a lot of the world because of the cold war you got korea vietnam cambodia um you know the dozens of little conflicts around africa latin america Indonesia, uh, the Middle East, there was just uh, conflict all over the world that never seemed to get up to our level where we were involved. Or, or you know what I mean? Of course, the United States and the Soviet Union were uh, both involved in uh, conflicts, but uh, it never kicked off between the two major superpowers. And it was easy for us to say here in America that um, things are peaceful and, uh, you know, we're keeping the peace by being strong and, you know, the Soviet Union being able to say the same thing too. But all throughout the world, our uh, proxy states were uh, going at each other. There was a civil war and 
strife everywhere in the world. So it, it really wasn't that peaceful of a time. Did our nuclear weapons, did they really keep the peace or did putting too big of a price tag on the United States and the Soviet Union going head to head just outsource our bloodshed and suffering to other less fortunate parts of the world? It's just something to think about. And these are the questions about the Cold War that um, I really like to explore. So that's all I'm really going to say about um, the movie Oppenheimer. No, actually, I'm going to say one more thing. Um, I said it was a very well-made movie, very smart movie and all that. And, um, you know, a lot of this movie is just dialogue, basically. But, um, you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It was a, it was a great story. But there's the scene where they actually test the atomic bomb and um, – Damn, that was that was cool. Um, I'm not really one to be impressed by special effects, but um, I uh, really, really, really dug that part. Um, we went to a fancy movie theater, and this was at her insistence. And um, it, you know, there were times to go see the movie that were at a um, you know more uh, underwhelming theater that worked out, but would have worked out better for us. But um, she insisted on going to this theater, and honestly, I'm glad she did. It was one with the um, reclining seats, and the the movie theater screen was apparently like four stories tall, and um, it, yeah, it really wide. It was, it was supposed to be like one of the the biggest ones in the country, or something like that. But um, <laughs> the scene for the atomic bomb, um, you know, I was reclined a little bit. And, you know, so I could see my legs out in front of me. But during the whole time where it was building up, I, I could really feel myself tensing up for the explosion. And, um, you know, seeing my legs kind of twitch and um, kind of contort a little bit, um, anticipating the blast. And, uh, you know, once it actually did, man, that was cool. That was... Um, just a, a really, really cool movie theater experience. And it wouldn't have been quite the same had I, uh, you know, watched it on uh, Amazon or something a, a couple months later or, you know, whenever it comes out. All right. So that's all I've really got to say about the film Oppenheimer. There's a lot that could be said about it, but um, we're going to keep it fairly short and sweet. If you haven't seen it, um, I definitely recommend it. Um, it's one that, um, well, if you're listening to a podcast about Cold War history, there's um, going to be a lot of stuff uh, of interest to you in that one. All right. So if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is um, hit me up on Instagram under Cold War Cast. And I'm also on Twitter as well, too, under The Cold War Cast. I, I don't really do a lot of posting there, but I do a lot of reading. But, um, you know, if you have questions comments or anything like that uh you know feel free to get in touch with me through those uh through those channels i like hearing from you guys and if you want to support this podcast the best way to do it is go to reddragonherbs.net and uh, get yourself some tea this is our family business um things have been going pretty crazy with that honestly lately um we uh just opened up a uh, little storefront well, I guess my wife gets mad if we call it a storefront, but um, 
we opened up our little headquarters here in the uh, town outside of Des Moines that we live in. And um, going into the fall and winter, we're going to have some retail hours and um, we're going to be doing a lot of little classes out of our space as well, too, which I'm really looking forward to because I always uh, like doing these classes. But anyway, um, go to reddragonherbs.net and check out the selection of loose leaf tea that we have. This makes a great gift. And, um, you know, if you need any recommendations, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to give those as well, too. All right, that's all I've got for now. I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening.